is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. FDA could soon approve the Pfizer vaccine for the kids. 5 to 11 might be next month, but there's a warning. Health officials say don't fudge your kid's age so you can go and get the shot early. We'll talk about that. Pushback on the need for boosters coming from within the FDA. And a doctor will answer questions many vaccinated people have about breakthrough infections and lingering effects. Let's start with young kids and vaccines. Dr. Alice Kuo is a professor of pediatric medicine and director of UCLA Center of Excellence in Maternal and Child Health. Doctor, parents shouldn't just presume kids are mini-adults, right, and, and that they can handle the same vaccine shots as mommy and daddy. Absolutely. I think you make a really good point about the fact that children are not just small adults. Uh, The good news is that uh, my understanding is that the data are very close to being submitted and reviewed by the FDA. So this emergency use authorization should be, you know, through the process in maybe six to eight weeks. I know that seems like a long time, especially uh, for anxious parents, but Um, Really, what we should be doing is following the proper procedure, make sure that everything is evaluated and the proper dosing is determined, and then our 5 to 11-year-olds can safely receive the vaccine. It is kind of a tough spot for them, though, right? Especially if you got a kid who's 10 or 11 and you know that a 12-year-old can get it, because maybe they're thinking, oh, it's probably a different story for my child rather than I have a 5-year-old or a 6-year-old who's who's much further away. So, So maybe they've been approaching their doctor about that kind of a thing. Sure. I myself have a 10-year-old boy, and believe me, I am counting down the days until he can receive the vaccine, and he's the last one in our house, and we're, you know, super excited about the possibility soon. Um, But still, you know, there's such a variation in size, even for 10-year-olds. Mine actually happens to be on the smaller side, and so I really do think that, you know, parents should just stay patient and know that um, the American Academy of Pediatrics and a lot of pediatric leaders are really um, applying pressure and and, um, hoping and and urging the FDA to um, do its complete review as quickly as possible. So... The the doc this that, that's the doctor side of you talking. Has the the mommy side of you occasionally thought arguments all the time? Yeah, right? you know, you know what the heck? I, I may as well <laughs> just, take a minute. Yeah, let, let's just give the kid the shot. Sure. No, um, I I have to say, being in medicine, I wouldn't think that way. I mean. Sure, when uh, my son has already been excluded from school once for quarantine for, you know, another child in his class that tested positive and, and here he is Zoom schooling again or doing, you know, homework packets. It's extremely frustrating. Like, I totally get it. Um, but at the same time, I think it would be rushing it and it would be not prudent to kind of go around the rules. The other thing, too, is we want all the vaccines to be accounted for in the state registry, right? In California, all the doses are through the MyTurn system through California. And it's very easy for us to have, you know, a a pass or or something on our phone that shows that our child's vaccinated. If you do it kind of outside the rules, if you go to a pharmacy and try to, you know, beg for a leftover dose or something like that, then it's outside the system. And so when they become eligible, then you kind of have to fess up that you already get, it just gets complicated. So I think that um, the best thing to do is just to be patient as difficult as it is and know that even though there's a lot of scary news about Delta, that for the vast majority of kids, Delta is a mild illness. Um, And so weighing the, you know, risk and the benefits, 
The benefit is to wait until it's official that the five to 11 year olds can receive the dose, um, receive the vaccine at the proper dose. I made the mistake over the weekend of clicking too far into this anti-vax thread Mm, and seeing what they were talking about. And Mm. the the line was that it's more dangerous for the kids to get the vaccine than to actually uh, get COVID. There's less risk because they're going to get carditis. You want to talk about that for a second? Sure. So I, you know, actually that question has come up so often that I've reviewed the data and um, it is definitely uh, not the case that myocarditis from the vaccine is worse than myocarditis from the from the COVID itself. So basically um, what we see here is uh, there is a risk difference of two cases per 100,000 of myocarditis after vaccination versus 11 cases after actual COVID-19 infection. So it's definitely a over five times greater risk of myocarditis in the disease itself and getting infected than in the vaccine. Um, and so this is, uh, this is, this is, I think, incontroversial, incontrovertible evidence based on science. Um, and I think that what we're reading, um, on social media and from people who may not understand some of these statistics is that, uh, the risk from the vaccine is much, much lower. Um, and myocarditis in itself is a pretty self-limited illness as well. It can be a little bit scary, but most People recover with no complications whatsoever. Dr. Alice Quo, Professor of Pediatric Medicine, Director of the UCLA Center of Excellence in Maternal and Child Health. Two of the leading vaccine researchers in the FDA stepping down soon over their opposition to vaccine booster shots. They argue the evidence isn't there yet to sign off on boosters. They're not the only ones expressing reservations. Other scientists have come out in opposition, too. Dr. Gregory Poland, director of the vaccine research group at the Mayo Clinic. So, doctor, is this all about preventing infections or keeping people out of hospitals, keeping them alive? This is really about preventing death severe disease, hospitalization, and even in the face of Delta variant, if your underlying immune health is good, these vaccines remain powerfully effective. What people are noticing is asymptomatic, mild, and occasionally moderate infection, uh, so-called breakthrough infection, and predominantly in people who are elderly, more frail, or who have multiple medical conditions. What I found uh, interesting, doctors, I read the Lancet piece this morning, and they made a number of, I thought, pretty strong arguments, uh, among them that a lot of the uh, the so-called research indicating that we should do boosters, not peer-reviewed, some of it is just you know press releases, that sort of thing. And they kind of took uh, issue with uh, the Israeli data, which a lot of the, the pro-booster uh, uh, sort of club, I guess, has been hanging their hat on, that you know the Israeli data has been showing a lack or a waning efficacy of the vaccines, but they didn't find that convincing either. I agree. In this case, I absolutely agree with uh, Dr. Krauss and uh, the other authors of this uh, paper. They make excellent science-based recommendations and observations. I've said myself that, uh, trying to put it in kind of a funny way, we should stop worshiping at the altar of neutralizing antibody. It's a (laughs) proxy But it is not the full story. And when you get, you know, as you say, kind of media headlines that 
surround these preprint studies or these small studies that have uh, uh, study design flaws and confounding in them, uh, you get what we get, which is you can find studies all over the place in this. You look at the larger CDC studies, you look at the studies that um, this group of authors put together in the uh, figures of their of their paper, you see that we're still talking about prevention of hospitalization and death in the 90 plus percentile. I guess, what do we do then with the crowd? Because there are a bunch of people out there, maybe 60 plus in their 70s, who really do want a booster because they are scared right now. They think, and maybe they're right, that they're seeing breakthrough cases left and right. They see someone on the internet says they have it. Maybe they know someone, friend of a friend or whatever. Um, and they are convinced that something bad is really going to happen to them if they do get one of these. It's not going to be mild. Or or maybe they don't even want the mild case because they thought they would be okay once they got that shot. You know, you, you raise a good point, and there's a certain irony in it. Because of fear, we've got about 30-plus percent of the population that doesn't want to even get one dose. Because of fear, those that have gotten two doses want another dose. (laughs) And part of the problem is that uh, we do not yet have large-scale safety data on giving a third dose. I think we should have that. We don't have uh, population-based data showing that there's value to giving the booster dose as a broad public health maneuver. I think we deserve to know that before we embark on, on a program like this. And we don't know what will what the value of a booster in the face of Delta with a vaccine that was built against the ancestral Wuhan strain, what value would that offer over what's called a variant-focused booster? In other words, a Delta booster. So to sort of whittle down, because you just ticked off three really important things, for for people who are thinking, well, I'm going to just rush out and, and, you know, by hook or crook, I'm going to get my third uh, shot. And about a million plus Americans have already, you know, done that. But right. but what you're saying, I think the bottom line is, we don't really know if it's safe. We don't really know if it's going to add any more protection than the two shots you already have. So just kind of sit back, relax, and wait. That's That would be my advice. Now, uh, there's already a recommendation for people who are moderately or severely immunocompromised to get that late additional dose, so-called third dose. I suspect eventually we will find our way to a booster of the elderly who are more frail or who have a lot of accumulated medical problems. We don't know that yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we end up there. And at least theoretically, there are arguments to not get a third dose with the same vaccine strain at this point. And part of that point involves safety. Do I, do I think it's going to end up being unsafe? No, I, I don't. We just haven't seen anything that would make us think that. But if you challenged me and said, well, show me the data for that, I would say, we don't have that data yet. I've also seen it going back and forth about people wondering, okay, are they just going to say third doses to prevent infection? Let's boost everybody's antibodies so the vaccinated aren't even spreading it around anymore to protect those who haven't even gotten their first dose yet. But then you've got vaccinated people, maybe on the younger side, going, why do I need a third to protect you who hasn't even gotten your first? 
Well, all good points. I, I would be very surprised if we offered booster dose doses at this point to the young and healthy. One other comment, um, people should not presuppose that getting a booster means that they wouldn't get asymptomatic infection and couldn't spread it. We don't have any vaccines that are completely infection blocking as opposed to how this and all of our vaccines are built, which is disease blocking. Yeah, isn't and isn't that one of the dangers here? That that uh, if let's say the government does go ahead with boosters and maybe prematurely, and people get that uh, third shot, and then lo and behold, uh, we'll still see headlines. I suspect of so-called breakthrough infections with the third shot. Then what? Well, not I suspect. I guarantee you, we will. There are no vaccines that can completely block any type of infection. We just don't have those. Um, and so uh, I think what's like more likely to happen is if we embark on this program, we'll find out pretty soon, you know what, uh, what we really need is a booster dose against variant or mu or C12 or some of the other variants that are arising. And the real key here is, uh, in my opinion, is not to whittle away at this small percent uh, that might have breakthrough disease. It's we've got to get the 30 to 40 percent of people who haven't gotten immunized, immunized, or we're going to continue to chase our tail with more and more variants developing and trying to develop boosters to control that in the people who are responsible about their health. Dr. Gregory Poland directs the Vaccine Research Group at the Mayo Clinic. Doctor, thanks. Coming up after a short break, how worried should we really be about COVID if we're vaccinated? If you're vaccinated, you might still be worried about COVID. Breakthrough infections do happen, and a very small percentage of those cases end up with someone going to the hospital or even dying. Sounds concerning, but how worried should the vaccinated people really be? KYW's Matt Leon talked to Dr. Annette Raboli, dean of Cooper Medical School at Rowan University. She answered the question and others about being vaccinated during the pandemic, especially with Delta out there. You're not uh protected in the sense of acquiring infection with it. But if you do acquire it, the likely scenario is that you will either have no symptoms or relatively mild cold-like symptoms. The vaccines are highly effective in preventing serious outcomes if you do get infected. The serious outcomes are hospitalization, requirement for uh, being on a mechanical ventilator or death. And uh, the CDC and the states have been tracking the statistics. Uh, Data that I've seen from the CDC show that uh, of those who are fully vaccinated, less than 0.004% have had a breakthrough infection that leads to hospitalization and less than 0.001% have died of a breakthrough. Most of the serious breakthroughs, about three quarters of them, have occurred among older populations, those over 65, and those who have had comorbidities. So I think that that's very powerful and true information. You know, we think about the... um, 
things that will lead us out of the pandemic and the things that will protect us during the pandemic. And it's an array of things, but the vaccines are at the heart, the center, whatever you want to call it, of getting us out of this pandemic and also keeping us safer during the pandemic. The other measures are masking, masks work, hand hygiene, distancing, common sense things, avoiding crowds. All of these come together to, um, you know, create a, a safer environment while we're in the pandemic. But I think, you know, and many people have said this, oh, testing as well. Testing is also part of the combined efforts. But uh, the vaccines are the core uh, to getting us out of this situation. If you are one of those breakthroughs and not necessarily hospitalizations, but you do get sick, how much, if you're fully vaccinated, how contagious are you? So the fully vaccinated are, quite frankly, very contagious in the uh, setting of this Delta variant. That's the hallmark of the Delta variant. It is very contagious, and that's why it's been such a problem. And that's why we're in the current surge in cases. You know, there had been a nice lull early in the summer, late spring, early summer. Uh, Now we've had a spike that has spread through the United States and other places. And that has been driven by the Delta variant, which is highly contagious. So I'm curious, we've heard so much about long COVID, about the long term people that don't pass from the virus, but have long term difficulties. Fully vaccinated, breakthrough cases. Do we have any data or any understanding if long COVID is still in play for the fully vaccinated or is it too early to to tell? I I think it's pretty early, you know, in the understanding of this uh, as well. And, um, you know, certainly long COVID is is well described. Uh, It is problematic for, you know, those who have had it. Uh, Probably for people... Uh, who have been on the sicker end of the curve, it's a real possibility. Uh, But I think it's relatively early. And, you know, the number of of substantial breakthroughs is is low enough that, you know, it needs to really be sorted out scientifically. For people that have kids that aren't eligible to be vaccinated under 12, if your whole family is fully vaccinated and most of the people they have close contact with, close relatives, let's say grandparents, stuff like that, uh, and the school is doing what it can, uh, what should the level of worry for parents be about their their unvaccinated children? I mean, there's only so much you can do, right? Right. So I think that that is the piece that you know parents have to feel comfortable with, that you're doing everything you can And, you know, hopefully these vaccines will be released uh, soon for children, uh, for the younger children. Uh, You know, vaccination rates uh, for uh, the teenagers that are eligible, you know, the older preteens and the teenagers that are eligible, at least in the state of New Jersey, are cruising around 50%. So I think that the masking the hand hygiene, distancing where possible, uh, 
you know, watching your contacts, uh, you know, situational awareness. I think all of those come into play. Now, you know, it has to be acknowledged that the hospitalizations that are being seen by this in this surge are hospitalizations, ICU needs, uh, deaths are being driven by the unvaccinated. And the number of pediatric cases are surging, uh, not only in our region, but this is a national issue. The numbers of cases uh, are uh, higher uh, than during previous surges, uh, mainly because this is, uh, this is an unvaccinated group. Those younger children are an unvaccinated group. Uh, so, you know, this is an area of interest. Um, you know, we all can't wait until the vaccine is authorized uh, for these children. To that point, and not putting you on the spot here to holding this, do you think that is something we will see in this calendar year? Or do you think it would be early 2022? Mm, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm hoping that we do see it in this calendar year, but more realistically, I think probably early in, in 2022. What would be the big thing you're looking for? I mean, obviously you're looking to see, make sure the vaccine is safe for the kids. What is different with a young person that this vaccine is okay for 12 and up, but there could be concerns younger? Is just because there's so much development going on with these kids that the, so, you just want to make sure that everything's in po- on point? So here are the, the, you know, I remember from uh, pediatrics rotation many years ago, they would say, you know, children are not just little adults. So there are a lot of things that are different about them. And they are a vulnerable population. Uh, you know, they depend on their parents to make good decisions for them, uh, their uh, parents or guardians. So um, they have to ensure that these vaccines are safe and effective in younger children. Um my crystal ball tells me that the, the answer will be yes, they are. Uh, but I think that um, they they do need to be cautious. Uh, you know, I'm sure that they're moving ahead with these evaluations as quickly as they can because they recognize the need to get this this population vaccinated. And you know, parents are anxious about it, and rightly so. Overall. How would you kind of rate the job we've done with vaccinations? I mean, from January till about May, you know, it was millions a day. I think a lot of people figured we were going to hit a point where it was going to be tough sledding. I think it's been much tougher the the last several miles of this journey than anybody anticipated. But overall, how do you think we've done? And as a piggyback on that, President Biden's kind of mandate for so many companies that have more than 100 people, people have to get vaccinated or tested every week. Is that what we kind of need, you think, to get us over this these final few humps? So so first and foremost, I think that uh, the way the vaccine program with regard to the development of the vaccines, okay, I think that that was amazing with efficacy beyond what would have gotten well beyond with what would have gotten them the emergency use authorization. And I think that um, 
the system of running these things in parallel, which could, which could only happen with the support of the federal government, which was the guarantor for uh, the development of these, uh, was a big key to this success. Um, I think because of the, some of the structural things within our free society, um, the rate of vaccination was not what it could or should have been. Uh, you know, the initial uh, part where, you know, people were rushing up, those were all the people who really wanted the vaccine. They understood it, et cetera, and they understood the importance of it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the situation did become politicized. And I think that, you know, a public health crisis should never be politicized because then you really disadvantage the citizens. Um, I'm going to say something that may sound uh, particularly harsh. You know, when people say, you know, it's my right not to get vaccinated. It's my right not to wear a mask or you're impinging on my liberties with this. I could tell you, having cared for many patients in the ICU setting, patients who were dying, et cetera, there's nothing worse for your, li- for your liberty than being a captive audience on a respirator in an ICU where you're not sure your outcome is going to be survival. It's absolutely heartbreaking. For No one should die of a vaccine-preventable disease at this time. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And I'm just speaking honestly about this and from the heart, you know, not to offend anybody with this. But the politicization of this has done a lot of harm to people and has stagnated and caused frustration, too, for those who are fully vaccinated. Um, you know, I uh, I laud the uh, Biden administration for going forward with this. You know, uh, the scope is about 100 million federal employees, healthcare workers, and other private sector workers, companies with greater than 100 employees, and also a lot more money put into rapid tests. I believe the figure is about $2 billion. So I laud them for that. Many physicians are very enthused about this. I'm enthused with this. The counter, though, and I think somebody said it well, is this may be too little too late. Okay, the federal government was fain to get involved. Now they're getting involved. I'm optimistic, though. I'm optimistic. And these vaccines are the way that we're going to get out of this pandemic. Some people out there are developing what's called superhuman immunity to COVID. Researchers found someone who's already been infected with COVID and then got one of the mRNA vaccines, developing high levels of antibodies that can fight off several variants as well as other related viruses, including ones in bats to pangolins and the one that caused the first coronavirus pandemic, SARS-CoV-1. These antibodies were even able to deactivate a virus engineered on purpose to be highly resistant to neutralization. Antibodies from people who were only vaccinated or who only had prior coronavirus infections were essentially useless against this 
mutant virus. This is an Odyssey original. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. 